I'm going to lead us through Genesis chapter 49, verse 28 to 50, verse 26. And we're just going to read 28. 28 closes off what we looked at last week with the blessings of Jacob. And I'm going to finish us off in our book of Genesis and the series we've had since about Easter this year. So I'll read from verse 28. All these are the tribes of Israel. This is what their father said to them as he blessed them, blessing each with the blessing suitable to him. That's kind of closing off last week's and then this week's sermon, what I'll be preaching from. Then he commanded them and said to them, I am to be gathered to my people. That is Jacob saying it. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field at Machpelah, to the east of Mamre, in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite to possess as a burying place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah his wife. And there I buried Leah. The field and the cave that is in it were bought from the Hittites. When Jacob finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet into his bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. Then Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. So the physicians embalmed Israel. Forty days were required for it, for that is how many are required for embalming. And the Egyptians wept for him for seventy days. And when the days of weeping for him were past, Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh and saying, If now I have found favor in your eyes, please speak in the ears of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, I am about to die in my tomb that I hewed out for myself in the land of Canaan. There shall you bury me. Now therefore let me please go up and bury my father, then I will return. And Pharaoh answered, Go up and bury your father as as he made you swear. So Joseph went up to bury his father. With him went all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his household, and all the elders of the land of Egypt, as well as all the household of Joseph, his brothers, and his father's household. Only their children, their flocks, and their herds were left in the land of Goshen. And there went up with him both chariots and horsemen. It was a very great company. And when they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond the Jordan, they lamented there in a very great and grievous lamentation. And he made a mourning for his father for seven days. When the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning of the threshing floor of Atad, they said, this is a grievous mourning by the Egyptians. Therefore, the place was named Abel Mizraim. It is beyond the Jordan. Thus his sons did for him as he commanded them, for his sons carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave of the field at Machpelah to the east of Mamre, which Abraham bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite to possess as a burying place. After he buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had gone up with him to bury his father. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, Your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, Please forgive the transgressions of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. 
And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. So Joseph remained in Egypt, he and his father's house. Joseph lived for 110 years. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. And the children also of Machar, the son of Manasseh, were counted as Joseph's own. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die. But God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Let's pray before we dive into it. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. I pray, Lord, that I would speak truth, anything that is other than what you have been wanted to be said. Please take it away. Lord God, let us sing that you are a holy God. Let us sing, leave this evening, sing and rejoicing in the goodness of Jesus and the hope that we have found. And we pray this in your name. Amen. So as I said, we've been going through this series from chapter 37 to chapter 50. We've seen Joseph grow from a boy to a man, watched him be sold into slavery, then rise to prime minister of all of Egypt. We've watched him save Egypt from a famine through his shrewd bookkeeping. And in this series in Charmers, we've gone further than Andrew Lloyd Webber dared to go. We went past Benjamin's Calypso, we went past those Canaan days we used to know. Where have they gone? Where did they go? And we come to what seems a slightly anticlimactic ending. I mean, to the ending of the book, The Lives of Jacob and the Lives of Joseph. We've had this thrilling story so far. And this almost just seems kind of like the end credits running over with some music playing because we have two funerals, two really quick deaths, and one really well-prepared memorial service. In fact, if I was able to kind of rub out the bold italics that the Bible translators put in, I'd probably call this two funerals and a fridge magnet. Two funerals and a fridge magnet, because you have verse 29 to four, verse 14 of chapter 50. You have Jacob's death and this kind of big, long funeral procession. Verse 15 to 21 that Derek actually quoted, one that has made it onto many a fridge, rightly, has made it onto many a fridge. Verse 20, it says, you meant it for evil, God meant it for good. And then verse 22 to 26, we have another funeral. This one's shorter, far less extravagant than the first. Joseph gives commands for his body's burial, and then he dies to two funerals and a fridge magnet. And I want to say from the start, in the face of these funerals and the evil that Joseph has faced, 
What I think God is driving at is God is showing he is unstoppable in the face of death, in the face of evil, and actually brings about his good promises despite all of that. God is absolutely unstoppable. And you've got on the sheets, I've kind of split it into three. I'll go much heavier on the first two, so when we get to the third, we know we're almost done. The first funeral, verse 29 to 14. Now, when I think of funerals, I think of home. My home is the Isle of Lewis. And as with most things, the Isle of Lewis does things very differently to Edinburgh. And what happens in Lewis is, after the funeral service, after you've had the ceremony in the church, all the men of the village gather up outside and they line up behind the coffin and they line up single file in two lines as the family carry the coffin, all dressed in black with ties on, black jackets, hats. The family carry the coffin down the road through the village, probably to the graveyard. And as the family are carrying it, the two lines of people kind of moved up, move up, take the weight off the family, and the family move to the side, and then the lines kind of move forward like that. And as you've carried it for a while, you step to the side, and you stand in silence, just hearing the sound of footsteps walking along. And the thing about this thing that I mention it is it's seriously moving. It takes death really seriously. This sense of community in it, in this mourning, there's a real poignancy, there's a real seriousness about death. And I say that because that's the kind of picture we have in Genesis. This deep grief, this deep lamenting, this deep sadness in this royal, stately procession funeral. I mean, just look at the verses. Verse 3 says, 40 days were required for embalming. And then they waited 70 days because they had weeping. And if you skip down to verse 7, Joseph went up with Pharaoh's servants, the elders of the household, elders of the land, Joseph's household, his brothers, his fathers, both chariots and horsemen. It was huge. It was a very great company is what the Bible says. There's this big emphasis on death. And the 12 children of, of Jacob have lost their father. This is a great company and there is great mourning. Verse 10 says, they go to the threshing floor of Atad and they lament with a very great and grievous lamentation. And then adding to the 40 days, adding to the 70 days, adding to the travel they've had, Joseph weeps for another seven days. And the Canaanites in verse 11 sum it up for us. When the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning on the threshing floor of Atad, they said, this is a grievous mourning by the Egyptians. It's really somber. We have these two funerals at the end of the book with huge mourning, this huge procession, children losing their father, lament, lamenting, lamenting over his loss. It's really sad. And it's sad for this family, but see if you think in the, the picture of this book, in Genesis, even the Bible, 
It begins in the Garden of Eden. The book begins in Eden. It's fruitful. It's flourishing. It's lush. It's full of life. And by the end of the book, verse 26 of chapter 50, Joseph died being 110 years old. They embalm him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. You start in Eden, and you end in Egypt in a coffin. The book of Genesis has this problem ever since Eden of death just hanging around. Death is like this damp towel in a warm room just lingering around. In our culture today, in the world around us today, we say we live and we die. That that's it, we go back to this nothingness. Or they do the complete opposite and they just think nothing of death. We live, we laugh, we drink, we mess around, we explore. We're nice to each other, we learn and we educate ourselves, we work hard. That's what we do and then we go back to nothing. And that's what the world and the culture around us tells us to think. And I mean, if that's the case, why does death feel so wrong? Why does it hurt so much, affects every single one of us? Every single one of us have felt the effects of death. In fact, this week I learned of someone who died, and it's this feeling when you tell someone who knew them. This silence, this sort of disbelief. A shock, the thoughts of, I didn't expect that, wow. This deep sense of sadness, or, or if it's someone extremely close to you, this deep, gut-wrenching sadness that is completely inexpressible. That moment you learn that someone has died, someone who's close, and you realize from that moment on, life will never be the same. Death is a horrible thing. So we, I think, understand the feelings that are going on in Genesis here, this lamenting, this grief. But what about Jacob? This is sad. This is a poignant, lamenting funeral. And it's for Jacob. And Jacob is anything but sad. He says things so matter-of-factly before he dies. Verse 29, he says, Bury me in this cave that Abraham bought for me in Machpelah, the east of Mamre. And then verse 32, he picks up his feet under the covers, breathes one last breath, and dies. A confident little old man was Jacob. I mean, it's strange that everyone bar Jacob is devastated. And they're mourning his loss. Why is he so confident? Why is he so matter-of-fact about his own death? Well, I want to say that it's because Jacob is holding on to God's good promises and his good purposes. We're standing at the end of this book, and to understand what he holds, what he's holding on to, we have to see briefly how Genesis unfolds. And it's Sunday night and we're tired and sometimes it's hot, so I've got a PowerPoint to keep us going. And in Genesis, we've seen from Genesis chapter 3, after the garden, that death is around and it's almost raining. 
But from chapter 12, it focuses in on one man, and that's Abraham. And it follows his family. So then it goes to his son, Isaac, in chapter 26. And then on to his son, Jacob, in 28. And then all the sons of Jacob, with Joseph being the main character. And I bring these guys up because these are the promises that Jacob holds on to. God makes promises to each of these men, and it travels down, and Jacob holds on to these promises. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, granddad, dad, and son. And they're huge promises. He makes promises to each and every single one of them. So to save you flicking through the Bible, I'm going to put them up on the screen behind me as well. Believe me, if I had a whiteboard, I would have used it, but you would not be happy. I have terrible handwriting. These men get promises made to them, and they're true for them individually. They're then true big Bible promises for all of Israel, but they're actually very true for us today. So that's why I think it's important that we look at it. So we're going to run through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the promises that Jacob is holding on to, and just look out for the similarities of them. Genesis chapter 12. Firstly, there is Abraham in Genesis 12. He's almost the founding father, in a sense, of this Israel. And he says, the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred, small, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God promises to Abraham that he will have a land, a nation, and a blessing that will come through him and his nation. That is a land, a nation, and a blessing. That's Abraham, so you move one step down to Isaac. Between chapter 12 and 26 in Genesis, it's followed Abraham's life, and then we see Isaac. And God says to Isaac, sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and to your offspring I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath I swore to Abraham your father, and I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven, and will give to you offspring all these lands. And in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. The same lands he spoke about to Abraham are then promised to Isaac, a land, a people, and a blessing for the whole earth. And then finally, Genesis chapter 28, you have granddad, you have father, you have Jacob. If you know the Jacob story, he receives this as he is lying asleep on a rock and has the, he sees the ladder going to heaven with the angels ascending and descending. And God says to him, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south, and in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go, and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. So this is the promise that is made to Jacob, the Jacob we're looking at in chapter 50 or 49, who dies. He has promised land, people, blessing for the whole earth. Thank you, Andrew. 
And this is the promises that Jacob is holding on to until he dies. And so though death is truly awful, it's almost counter-creational, it's the inevitability of life around us, though this is the case, God has made promises and Jacob holds on to them. Jacob holds on to them. In fact, Joseph also holds on to them. If you look down at verse 24 of Genesis 50, Joseph too holds on to these promises. In his funeral preparations, he says, he said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. These should be ringing in our head now. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. Joseph holds on to his promises to this land, this people, this blessing for the entire world. God is absolutely unstoppable, so hold on to the point of death, is what it's saying. And that's true, and that's good, but we're going to see why we can hold on to these promises. That's what verses 15 to 21 are there to show us. We're there to show us that we can trust God as absolutely unstoppable in bringing about his promises, bringing about his good purposes, his good plans. So get yourself back into kind of the funeral possession. We're going to jump in at verse 14. This is my second point. It says, after he was buried... After he had buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had gone up with him to bury his father. Now, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. Now, this is a scene, if you have any siblings, you understand completely. You know what's going through their mind. You're with your little brother or sister and maybe you've broken the bed and you make a pact. We're not going to tell mom and dad. Just keep it between us. And you know as soon as you turn your back, he's run down the stairs, told mom everything. So you take the shouting, you take the telling off. I mean, you deserve it. You broke the bed. This is not a true story, by the way. You know you deserve it. But you know as soon as mom heads back down to finish off the cooking or cleaning, whatever she was doing, you're going to beat up that little telltale. Get him back for everything that he did. In fact, maybe even as you're being shouted at, you see him at the corner of your eye and you give him the look that he knows he's in trouble when mom's gone. I'm going to deal with you when they're gone. And I think that's the kind of feeling the brothers had when Jacob died. So they make this ploy to kind of save themselves. They make this ploy to kind of save themselves now that dad's gone, Joseph might get us back. And that's what Joseph responds with in verse 19. They have this ploy and they send their servants to ask forgiveness. Dad told us that you should forgive us. And Joseph weeps. And then he tells them, verse 19, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Now think of the magnitude of this verse. As we've traveled through the Joseph story, we know what goes on. And Joseph looks back in his life and he says, you meant that for evil. God meant it for good. 
He can look back on his life and say that God meant all the evil against him for good. And there's no hiding that they meant evil for him. If you've not been here or you don't fully know the Joseph story, we'll quickly run through it. Chapter 37 of Genesis, the brothers are fed up of this dreamer boy. So they say, verse 20, come, let us kill him and throw him into one of those pits. And then someone else pipes up and says, what profit is it to kill him and conceal his blood? Let's sell him to the Ishmaelites to be a slave in Egypt. All the brothers did this. They were fed up of this dreamer boy, so they sold him to Egypt. And though they may not have meant that the repercussions of this is that he was working in Potiphar's house, enslaved, and then was falsely accused of assault for deliberately trying not to be promiscuous with Potiphar's wife. He's thrown into prison and forgot about. Because of what they did, the evil they meant for him, Joseph says God meant it for good. It's staggering. That's huge. And what's important to note is that God wasn't cleaning up the mess of his brothers. It wasn't that God had taken his eye off the ball and had to fix his mistakes. God meant all of it for good somehow. And as we stand in Genesis 50, we look back and we can see this. We see that he is sold to slavery, imprisoned on a false accusation. In prison, he interprets deems, rises to become prime minister of Egypt and saves nations around him. Things go good. It's this rags to riches story, the American dream for Joseph. The brothers meant the evil, but God meant it for good. And as I was looking at this, the part of this verse that is often chopped off is the next part. The part that doesn't make it onto the fridge magnet. Maybe, maybe the magnet's not big enough. I'm not sure. But God uses it for the saving of many. To bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. That God brings about good that many should be saved. Joseph saves the fa- Egypt from the famine. There's nations that come to get food from them as well. And even those who threw him in the pit, who sold him off in slavery, who meant evil against him. God is in complete control, saving many. Overall, even though it doesn't look like almost bending the evil that is meant against him for good. God is in the driving seat of history. He's not cleaning up after sin's mess and the evil of the world and in our lives. He's in the driving seat in complete control. And what's, what's great about Genesis, this is a wonderful truth of who God is. But this is only a taster. Genesis 50 is only a taster. The foretaste, the order is the foreshadow of a greater deliverer. This is all meant to show us that God is unstoppable in saving many people in Genesis, in the Joseph story, but God is unstoppable in saving us. I don't know if you've seen it as, again, as we've gone through this series, or even you've read about it yourself, but the links between Joseph's story and Jesus are phenomenal. Peter, one of Jesus' followers, says of Jesus in Acts chapter 2, It's almost his own Genesis 50, verse 20. He says, 
This Jesus you delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. And he says it to the Jews. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. You meant evil against him. But God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held. You meant it for evil. God meant it for good and for the saving of many for the saving of many. You have the Joseph story. You have Joseph's brothers are jealous of him for what he says. The Jewish leaders are jealous of Jesus. They hate him. Joseph was sold into slavery for 20 shekels of silver. Jesus was sold by Judas for 30 pieces of silver to be crucified. He was, Joseph was delivered over to the Ishmaelites. Jesus delivered to the Romans. Joseph was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife for not sinning. Jesus had no guilt found in him. Falsely accused by the Jews. Both were punished wrongly. Joseph was left in prison. Jesus was murdered, crucified, and died and laid down to bury in a tomb. Joseph was promoted to prime minister, second in command of all of Egypt. Jesus was raised up because death could not hold him, raised him from the pit above prime minister, above Pharaoh, above every tribe and nation that every knee should bow down before him. And Joseph saving people from a famine. Jesus saved us, offering eternal salvation to all. It's great, isn't it? It's a wonderful message. The Jewish leaders meant it for evil, killing an innocent man, killing the Son of God. God meant it for good. God is not cleaning up evil's mess. It was all planned. Jesus foretold it. The Old Testament prophets foretold it. Even back through Genesis, it was spoken about. Before Genesis 50, Genesis chapter 3 says, we have the promise of the evil killer, the death destroyer, the curse reverser, the serpent crusher. God is absolutely unstoppable in bringing about his good purposes. Always has been, always will be. For the saving of many. Death is defeated because of Jesus. Death that lingers through Genesis, through the Bible story, even in our lives. Know that it is defeated. Jesus brought about the saving of many in the face of evil. Jesus brought about God's promises of people land and blessing. People here, there will be people in the new creation, the land, the promised land, a deathless, evilless land, full of blessing. Jesus saves many. Through the, Joseph, through the Joseph story, God is absolutely unstoppable, stopping at nothing. But at Genesis 50, we kind of have some loose ends. The promise of land and people and blessing wasn't fulfilled. But in Jesus, they absolutely are. Made possible for us. Because of Jesus, there is a people around the world stemming from Israel, stemming from Abraham, through Jesus, exiles in this world as we looked at this morning, looking to this promised land greater than the one that Jacob and Joseph were looking to, to be buried in. 
and the blessings we have now because of Jesus, we have this hope. We have real hope that death is not the end. The same hope that Jacob and Joseph had, but we see it through Jesus. And I say that evil may happen to us and we really feel it. It's more than just a word that we say. But what we know from Genesis 50 is that God is unstoppable in bringing about his good promises, his purposes. And this we have to hold on to. Because of what Joseph says and because of what Jesus has actually done for us. And just as I finish, we'll look at the last few verses. Joseph's funeral. Verses 22 to 26. It's the same idea as with Jacob. Joseph sticks around. He sees grandchildren being born to the third generation. Verse 24, he says, I am about to die. But God will visit you and bring you up out of this land, to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. God is going to visit you, brothers. So take my bones with you to the promised land. And for us, God is going to visit us and take us to the promised land. Joseph holds on to the point of death, just like Jacob, to his dying breath. God is unstoppable in bringing about his good purposes, so hold on. Despite the death that we see in the world around us, despite the evil that we feel every single day. The drive of the passage is God is in absolute control of every aspect of our world. Hold on to his promises. Hold on to his character. God is in the driving seat. And what's great, in Hebrews 11, it says of Joseph, it's this kind of hall of faith where it talks of the faith that they had. It doesn't say Joseph held on in prison. It doesn't say Joseph held on in all the troubles he had. It doesn't say Joseph didn't get his own back with his brothers. It says, by faith, Joseph at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. He holds on to the promises of God. Joseph's big moment is that when he was dying, he knew that God would take his people to the promised land. Know that there is no Christian who ever died without hope. Death comes for everyone. There is nothing in the world that can give you real hope in the face of death. What's wonderful is we were talking about this in the staff team this week. It was that Christians die like Jacob and Joseph all the time. What else gives us that? Holding on hope that God will take us to the promised land. Jesus gives us real hope and confidence even in the face of death, even in the face of everyday evil. Hold on to the promised land, the deathless, evil-beaten world. Jesus has made all of this possible for us. What a saviour we have. Let's pray and the band can come up.
Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for the promises that you have given us through your word. We thank you that you are absolutely unstoppable in fulfilling these promises. That despite the world that we live in, the day-to-day lives that we have, the death that seems to surround us or just take us down, Lord God, let us hold on to this hope that we have through the Lord Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen.